if there is a, if there is a representation of the apex of human engineering ability, it is duct tape. And duct tape has many redemptive uses. Uh, the shoe repair, which many of you have seen on our worship team displayed by one of our guitarists on a regular basis. The, the salad dressing stewardship uh, role there. The, the luggage rack, um, upholstery repair or, or substitute, whichever you'd like. Uh, appliance repair is uh, always a good one. And of course, everyone has taken a one time or another engine repair uh, with duct tape, I think. Um, there are, however, places where duct tape ought not go uh, and, and really cannot go well. Uh, the invention of the camera phone seems to have gone just a bit beyond <laughs> duct tape technology. Bike locks do not work uh, with, with duct tape. They're effective, but they have impaired ability. Car repair, somewhat lacking aesthetically. Um, and this is an airplane repaired with duct tape. That's just wrong. Even more wrong, the duct tape kayak, which really seems to have problems. If I can add to the list of things that we ought not tamper with, uh, duct tape or whatever means, it is the beauty of the shape of the church according to God's design. There is a shape for God's design of the church, a timeless DNA of the church that we must not tinker with, resist, or opt out of. We must align ourselves with it, cooperate with it fully, and thank God for it. It is for our good. And it's described to us, once again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where for a second week we get to look at God's overarching design for the church and our part in it. And as you find your way there, let's pray for God's favor on this. And then we'll open up the latter part of that chapter. God, if you would be kind to us now and help us understand precisely what it is you have for us here. And then give us uh, the ability to see our own lives in light of it. And then what for us, apart from your spirit, is not possible, give us grace to obey. Um, we would be glad to honor you however you would lead us today. So may your spirit have full freedom to do his good work of obedience um, in our lives. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to start in verse 12 of chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians where Paul writes, just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. And Paul, throughout this chapter, is comparing the church to our physical bodies. This is the primary passage where we get the idea of the church as the body of Christ. But he's comparing it throughout here to physical bodies, to our physical bodies. And um, the emphasis, as we saw last week, is captured in that Latin phrase on the back of your dollar bill. E pluribus unum. Out of the many, one. The many are made one. Our bodies are made a body by the presence of many members. 
So it is, Paul says, with Christ. He means so it is with the body of Christ. And Paul happily substitutes Christ for the body of Christ here. He shortens it up. And that should give us pause about the importance of this thing that we are together called the church. That we represent Christ to the world in a way that no one else does. The way we treat one another, the way we relate together as the body of Christ represents Christ in an extraordinary way. We should be able to say, want to know what Christ is like? Come to North Wake with me. Come to my small group with me. Watch how we love one another. Watch how we serve one another. Watch how we value one another. That's what Christ is like. Come to North Wake. See Christ there. That's what Paul's saying with that little, little turn of phrase from Christ or from body of Christ to Christ. He continues in verse 13 and 14 and says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Paul's talking about, when he talks about spirit baptism and drinking of the spirit, he has in mind our placement in the body of Christ by the spirit. When we became Christians, when we became followers of Christ, when we were converted or saved. It's more, he is saying, than our spiritual gifts that account for the radical diversity in the body of Christ. The body of Christ is diverse ethnically. There's Jew or there's Greek, he says. The body of Christ is diverse socially. They're slave and they are free. And all are made one by the one Spirit when we come to Christ. White and black and every shade in between. Rich and poor and every stratum in between. We are made one when we are saved by the work of the Spirit. We are made one body. So not only does the Spirit intentionally create diversity by diverse manifestations in us, these gifts we talk about. But he also takes our pre-existent diversity, our race, our social standing, our age, our gender, our ACC allegiances, and he makes us one, though we are many. He makes us one. We are saved into the glorious diverse unity that is the church. Don't miss that. We are baptized into the body of Christ. This is the Spirit's intent. We are saved into the church. And this is why it is so weird to run across so regularly something called an unchurched Christian. They've done studies on this um, because there are so many of them. Uh, Back in 2005, Barna Research did one. In the U.S., there are 10 million self-proclaimed born-again Christians who have not been to church in the last six months if you subtract Christmas or Easter. 10 million. 
They all say, nearly all of them say their spiritual life is very important. But for 10 million of them, spiritual life has nothing to do with the church. Now, he goes on in this study and about a third of Americans are unchurched. Um, 23 million of those unchurched claim that they have a personal commitment to Jesus Christ that's still important in their lives today. So this is a bigger category than those who would say they were born again, but they claim to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. A third of all unchurched in the country claim to be Christians. That's weird. Paul has no category for that. An unchurched Christian. By the Spirit's work, we, in all our radical diversity and differences, are made one in the church. And Paul's going to go on and show us what that must look like and what it must not look like as he continues with this metaphor of the church as a body. He says, If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Paul is, is trotting this out for us. We should look at this and say, that's absurd. That is patently absurd that my foot should try to walk away from my body because it's not a hand. That's weird. That's absurd. In fact, that is impossible. Every member matters, Paul is saying. He is crossing off envy, inferiority, competition, comparison with this absurd picture that he's painting. You, like the foot and like the ear, are a necessary and non-negotiable part of the body. You are. Discouraged self-assessment and sorry self-pronouncement does not change the reality that you were saved into the body. That's the Spirit's intent. You belong in the church. You cannot just bow out of it. That doesn't change anything. You're still part. You're an essential part of the health and beauty of of the church. In verse 17, Paul says, If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? Every member matters. Every one, every single one makes a needful contribution to the health of the body. The church becomes increasingly dysfunctional each time a member pulls back, withholds, or sits out. Now, they redid this unchurched Christian study thing last year. And now they're saying three out of every five unchurched persons in America are self-described Christians. The majority of unchurched people in America are Christians. That's weird. That's sinful. It's contrary to the work of the Spirit of God. It's contrary to the will and design of God for His church. Want to get out of the will of God? 
drop out of meaningful relationships in the church. Tim Stafford wrote an article in Christianity Today on this matter. He says, we offer perilous advice when we urge people to find Christ anywhere but in a local congregation. Can you imagine Paul arriving in a city, finding the local congregation not to his taste, and simply staying away? For Paul, a Christian without his church is as unthinkable as a human being with no relatives. A person may quarrel with his kin, but he cannot leave them. They are his own flesh and blood. So it is with the church. And furthermore, they are Jesus' flesh and blood. People need people, he says. God's people needs God's people in order to know God. Life in Christ is a corporate affair. All God's promises were made to God's people, plural. All the New Testament epistles address Christians in churches. The Bible simply does not know of the existence of an individual, isolated Christian. It's an oxymoron. Now, I realize this morning I'm preaching to the choir a little bit because you're here. Okay. But let me ask you a question. How many of you know somebody who says that they're a Christian, but they're not meaningfully engaged in church? You raise your hand. See, that is a tragedy. And if you love those people, you should wisely and graciously and directly challenge them about that. Show them 1 Corinthians 12, that they are baptized, born again into the church. Ask them to show you in the New Testament, anywhere where there's a a vibrant Christian functioning outside of the local body of Christ. This is contrary to the design and the will of God. Verse 18 Paul says, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. There's this intimate, direct involvement of God in the placement of people into the body. The diversity of the bodies by God's design. Your conversion, your inclusion in the body of Christ is by God's loving design and choice. Your place in the church, your giftedness is by his loving design and choice. Whether that's teaching or helping or healing or administrating or whatever it is, you are placed in the church by his design and your place in the church is by his design. Paul says, if, if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts Yet one body, if we don't embrace his design for us, the church becomes a monstrosity, like some kind of science fiction thing. You know, the chicken heart that ate New York City or something. We become one giant hand or elbow. It's not attractive, nor is it very functional. Now, if you were going to pick a gift that's most sought after at North Wake... What do you think that would be? I asked, we, we met, our staff met with uh, our, our newest slate of interns. There's about a dozen of them. And we asked this question, and immediate response was preaching. Preaching. I mean, you know, you, we're a block from a school that manufactures preachers, so it doesn't surprise you that you throw a rock at Northwake and you hit a preacher boy. Okay, they're, they're all in the midst of us. What does that mean? What that means is those of you who do not have teaching gifts matter in an extraordinary fashion in this body. 
You keep us by the exercise of your gifts from becoming some freakish monstrosity, this giant mouth, (laughs) a megaphone to our community, just what the community wants, a megaphone blasting at them from Northway. Your gift is worthy of special honor. You matter a great deal at Northway. Your gifts are of the utmost value. And simply because you are not a teacher does not devalue you in the slightest. If anything, you're accorded here special honor because of that. And we'll we'll see more about that in a minute. There are many parts, mercifully, all by God's design. Every part matters. You matter. And yet there is only one body. Verse 21, Paul continues with this body imagery. He says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. There is no place, as we've seen, for inferiority or disengagement. All are needed. Now we see Paul makes it equally clear there's no place for superiority in the church or independence in the church. The introverted pastor cannot say to the extroverted greeter, I have no need of you. The upfront worship team singer cannot say to the behind the scenes sound guy, I have no need of you. That'd be a disaster. We love you guys back there. Thankful for you. And no one, no one dare say anything except thank you. We bestow special honor upon you to the children's ministry workers. Okay? How indispensable are they to our church? How valuable are those of you who faithfully serve when that rotation comes around in, in the lives of our children? Paul says, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. When he talks about weaker members that are so indispensable, some uh, commentators suggest he's talking about our internal organs. Um, You can't live without them. When he speaks about parts less honorable or unpresentable, some have suggested he has in mind our, uh, what we call our private parts. We afford them special modesty, or at least we should. Um, and he says, the church is arranged like that. Special honor is given to the parts that lack it. God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part. That lacks it. Um, There's that phrase again. God has so composed the body. God arranged the members of the body. The one spirit baptized us all into one body. This This is God's work. It's his design. It's his choosing. And in some way, evidently, he affords special honor to those uh, maybe behind-the-scenes kind of people. 
We don't want to press his metaphor too far, but I can't help but wondering if he doesn't have in mind those upside-down kind of teachings of Jesus where he says, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The greatest among you shall be like a servant. Many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. And so the greater honor, one day for sure, God is going to ascribe to those who lack it in the church, who never stand up in front, who never, you know, publish or speak or record or sing. We want to align ourselves with that too. We really should. So, find your kid's teacher. Tell them thanks. Better than that, tell them thanks. Get them a Starbucks certificate. Better yet, tell them thanks and get them a Starbucks certificate and and a certificate to the Angus barn. (laughs) Some of you have Angus barn level children. You know who you are. You should give your teachers Angus Barnes certificates for the time they spend afflicted by your children. You know who you are. Okay, let's special honor is due to those people. You know, while we're in here, there's some people the next building over in something called the feed ministry and people in our community who are in need show up and they love them and they give them food to feed their families and they pray with them and they explain to them how much Christ loves them. And many of us can't do that. We're either not good at it or we're involved in other things. And, you know, just to drop by there and say, hey, outstanding. I love that you guys are doing this. So thankful for you. You know, the guy who cleans up your coffee spill, our anonymous sound boothers back there who serve us all every week, that the means by which the communion elements magically appear on this table, I used to think they just appeared out here on communion Sunday. There's actually people who come early, fill up all them little cups. Catch a behind-the-scenes servant serving and give them special honor. That's the way... God designed the body. It says in verse 24, But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. This esteem for the, the least and the lesser and the behind the scenes um, protects us from division and promotes mutuality of care and love for one another. These are kind of flip sides of the same coin, actually. Because if we let elitism or discrimination or favoritism or popularity or apathy divide the church, we'll fail in our mission, which is wholly dependent on our care for one another as a display of the love of God. Lifeway Christian Resources evidently has been doing some research amongst these unchurched and what they think of us those of us who are church folk. A couple of things they found that were major complaints that they had about us. They're real interesting in light of what we're talking about today. Here are two of them. One, one of their major complaints was they saw Christians treating other Christians poorly. That should never be our reputation. 
And the other one they said, another one they said was interesting. They were troubled by Christians saying they believe but not attending church. Isn't that interesting? You know why I think that is? Because they can smell hypocrisy. And that's just hypocrisy. To say you follow Jesus and not to be, not to be loving the church, his body. That's just a kind of hypocrisy. God has designed the body, the church, to protect against division and promote mutual love and care for each other. Jesus put it this way. He says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's our witness. And it's to be such an extent that we are supposed to share in each other's suffering and each other's rejoicing. Paul says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. This is descriptive of an actual reality in the church. We are one, so when someone is suffering, it affects us all. When someone is honored, it affects us all. We are either weakened or strengthened by these things. But it is also prescriptive of what we must be as a church. We must be building relationships with each other such that our sufferings and our joys are shared. So are you that engaged, that intertwined, with people in this room that you share in their joys and sorrows. When was the last time you high-fived somebody, gave them a hug, took them out to dinner, bowed in prayer, glad-hearted prayer with them to celebrate something good that had come into their life? Someone that's in this room. When was the last time you wept with someone in this room, made a phone call to check on someone who was suffering in this room, dropped by a hospital waiting room to pray with somebody who was suffering in this room? This is God's design for us. You know, it's not my job to do all the hospital visitation. You don't pay me to substitute for you and go to the hospital. That's goofy. You don't want to be that sick that I'm showing up at the hospital for you. Okay? <laughs> and if you are that sick, I'm not the guy you want to come. I don't have mercy gifts. I can do a little Bible study with you, but I don't think that's probably what you want when you're that sick in the hospital. This is our responsibility, one to another. How we care for each other protects and strengthens the body. If one member suffers, we suffer together. If one member is honored, we party together. It's, a, it's in the Greek. Look it up later when you go home. Just be honest. Okay? Self-reflection. Are you in glad cooperation Full cooperation with God's design for the church. Are you duct taping it here and there to make it do what you want? Reshaping it for your design, for your convenience, for your protection. 
Are you all in with this thing called the body of Christ, the church? By your place in it? By the way you connect to the other people in it? Some of you, um, I, I can see, are a little glassed over. You, you're not, I'm not connecting. You're not getting it. Um, and it may be the translation of the Bible that I'm working out of. So I have a different translation. Um, this is called the NFL version. It's actually uh, paraphrased by one of our members long ago named Stoney Blevins. He says, the team is a unit. Though it is made up of many players, and though all its players are many, they form one team. So it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit into one team, whether black or white, male or female, and we are all given the one spirit to drink. Now a team is not made up of one player, but of many. If the kicker should say, because I am not a receiver, I do not belong to the team, it would not, for that reason, cease to be a part of the team. And if a lineman should say, because I am not a quarterback, I do not belong to the team, he would not for that reason cease to be a part of the team. If the whole team were quarterbacks, where would the blocking come from? And if the whole team were receivers, who would kick the field goals? But in fact, a coach arranges the players on his team, every one of them, just where he wants them to be. If they all played the same position, where would the team be? As it is, there are many players, but one team. We are the team of Christ, and each one of us is a player on it. You get it? You get it now? You see what I'm talking about? Um, Then come on in and be the church with us. Let's pray together.